bringing that slide up, and if we'll <clears throat> turn in Acts chapter 5, we have a very <clears throat> solemn and shocking story to consider this morning, and we'll make a few comments on it as after we read it, but before that, Brother Joseph is going to come up and read it, and he's going to share with us what the Lord has given him, so I might not be back up here. Oh, yes, Mike. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. There we go. Is that working? All right. We're in Acts chapter 5, so we're going to start right at the beginning. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart that you uh, you have lied not to man but to God? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you have sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church, and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done done among the people at the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering, wondering what this would come to. And some people came to them and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid by being afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly tar- charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee of the council, uh, in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave the orders that the men be put outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of people, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census um, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you to keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, for if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And every day in the temple, from ho- and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching uh, that the, that Christ is Jesus. All right, and let's uh, let's pray before we get started. God, uh, I thank you that we could all come to here today to uh, look into your word, and I pray that um, as we as we look into your word, that you will teach us your truth, and that uh, nothing that I say will be remembered, but only only what you have to say to us, and that uh, we'll be challenged and convicted, and that uh, we will learn from this. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so I wanted to focus a bit on the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and that whole story is well set up, actually. In chapter 4, which comes just a little bit before it, I'm going to start reading real quick just to set everything up in uh, verse 32. And it just talks about um, what the church was like in those days since it was just getting started. Uh, now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one, said any, no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they all had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were, uh, were giving the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as he had any need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then it goes into chapter 5 and says, but Ananias, and that sets everything up for us. So just... Beginning with the powerful story of um, of what the church was like back then, because we obviously don't see it like that anymore. But these people were just so filled with love for one another and the sacrificial love that um, even though many of them impoverished themselves by selling everything they had, they cared more about the needs of the poor than the needs of themselves and gave of themselves. And this is actually the first mention we have of Barnabas, if, if you remember, and we'll see um, in weeks to come, becomes a, a really key player in, in the church and how it got started. But um, And then we see Ananias and Sapphira, who obviously are not motivated by the same reasons that all the other believers are. Um, we can see that because if they had, they would, have just, they would have just given everything or not lied. They wanted to appear more holy than they were. They wanted to um, reap the benefits and have the recognition that came with the other people who were selling and giving, but without actually the sacrifice that it entailed. They wanted to have that, that fake spirituality without any of the sacrifice that comes with it. And, um, well, obviously that, that's a very bad thing, but, um, there's 
I do want to bring up the question as to whether or not they were saved because there's a lot of opinions this way and that way about about what that is. And I wouldn't be so quick as to say that they absolutely were not saved because they did this. Now, it, obviously, from the text, they did something wrong, but um, just the fact that they were they were punished with death doesn't necessarily immediately impl- implicate that they were um, not saved. And we do actually have another example in the Bible of of Christians. Like if we um, if we go to First Corinthians. Uh, chapter 11 and starting the end they were doing the lord's supper and a lot of them were dishonoring the table when they did this when you know you eat and drink judgment upon yourself and we see that some of the believers were actually dying were being killed because they were disrespecting the lord's supper and um i'll start in verse 27 of first corinthians 11 whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the lord let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we are judged, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And that seems like a pretty harsh way to discipline somebody, to just kill them. But if we see that, um, we see here in the, in the passage that um, it did have some some effects at large. Twice in our, in the passage from at the beginning of five, it says that um, everybody was filled with fear not not the bad kind of fear, but the the holy respect that they have for God and the fear of committing similar sins so that you know they wouldn't have a similar thing happen to them. It says there in verse five, um, and great fear came upon all who heard of it, and then later in eleven, and great fear came upon the whole church. And um, it's also interesting. This is the first mention that we have in the Bible of any type of sin within the church. Um, earlier in Acts, we have lots of persecution from from without, um, and we can see all through history that persecution externally from the church actually causes the church to flourish in most cases. But um, this is the first time that anything internal has happened in the church that that has you know that has seri- been a serious issue, and God deals with the very first sin in a very dramatic way, just to drive home the point. And of all the sins that. Um, that God could have dealt with first to really make an example, he chooses hypocrisy, which is essentially what they're doing, trying to appear more holy than you are, trying to be dishonest. Now, um, the very nature of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, in a way, kind of shows their thoughts towards God. Now, we know they were influenced by the by, by Satan uh, to do this, but um, I'm, I'm sure we're all aware that we don't need all that much influencing to sin. We, we we're fully capable of doing it on our own. But um, just to think, just for somebody to try to lie to the Holy Spirit is for them to not really fully understand who the Holy Spirit is, to not understand, the, you know, the omniscience, the all-powerfulness of, of God himself. So for them to do such a thing shows that they don't really fully at least understand who God is. And it also shows exactly where their priorities are lying. Because if they truly wanted to try and, and please God, then they, you know, and not try to please men, then they would have, you know, done it. They would have given everything. They wouldn't have lied. But we can see here that their, their priorities are not in pleasing God. Their priorities are not even to give to the poor. Their priorities are not to, to help the other saints. Their priority is to appear holy, to gain the, to gain the um, admiration of other men not of God, to please men and not God. Um, and it comes from pride. They want to they want to be better than they are. They want other people to think that they are better than they are. And for that reason, they lie. Now, um, I'm not, another, another thing here, I'm, 
we all as we all as Christians, we we are capable of the exact same sins as them, wanting to be liked by other people, wanting to seem like we're holy. So again, I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is this. Obviously, if they're if they're trying to, you know, if they have pride, they can't be saved. That's not necessarily the case, but um, it is a stern warning against like action, because to put to put your own goals of becoming of appearing holy or, you know having people think that you're you're better than you are when that comes above your love for christ and be, comes above your your love for other saints because they were they were they didn't they were not being loving in doing this they were trying to seem loving which came above their actual um, motivation to love others when that's what happens then you you've you know you've misplaced your your priorities our priority is is always god and that's that's what we see that they they don't have and um I like the comparison here between between Peter and Ananias and Sapphira because Ananias and Sapphira they they sinned by lying and you know a few months ago before this you know when Jesus was betrayed Peter was the he was the very person that that denied Christ three times he he himself lied but we see we see the you know two different ways that God has dealt with this uh Peter was at that moment he did he deserve anything was his sin any you know was this in like not as bad as that of Ananias and Sapphira? I don't believe so. I think that you know Peter at that moment when he did that also deserved to be dropped dead. But we see that we see the mercy of God shown to Peter, so that even though he you know he had fallen so much, now we look at him with this this position of power filled with the Holy Spirit, able to discern without even knowing anything through the Holy Spirit that you know Ananias and Sapphira had lied to him. So it, it just goes to show that even even though Peter was a, was a fallen man. And had done that, Christ raised him back up and used him, and that that applies to all of us. We've all we've all done sins just as bad as that, I'm sure. But um, but God can also use us powerfully through the Holy Spirit uh, to accomplish great things for Him. And then also comparing them to to Barnabas. Now that he's an example of how Ananias and Sapphira, what they should have been like. Now it, it doesn't tell us much about him, but um, we can see here that everybody in the early church was was caring for each other. They, they didn't – everything that they had, they had given to the Lord. They didn't care about, you know, who used it, who used what. And uh, Barnabas was one of those people. He was selfless. He put the needs of others before his own. He is a great example of what we should all be like. And, you know, if we see – we'll see later on in Acts that, like I said, he becomes instrumental in building up the church. He, um, he – they call him an encourager. And um, in, in reading a little bit about Barnabas, it seems that he was widely recognized as somebody that was was trying to you know build up other Christians into you know to roles like that, and that he was he was selfless and he was focusing on on other people instead. So the message of this this whole thing: number one, don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, in comparison to uh, to Barnabas, it's that it's that our love should be genuine before anything else. Now. There was no obligation for Ananias and Sapphira to give. So it says it there. Like earlier on, it, it was saying that they, everybody was giving of what they had, but they, they didn't have to. It was all born out of a motivation from, from God. These two were motivated by something false. And when our motivation to do good comes from selfish ambition, you might as well not even do it, Right? Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, and that's what Barnabas was, and that's what Ananias and Sapphira weren't. They had their love of money. They had their love of recognition. They had their desire to appear holy, their hypocrisy. That all came before their love for God. So, um, yeah, furthermore, 
Right. It, it's also a it's also a really challenging passage about about giving because a lot of people will like to say that they they handle their money responsibly in such a way that or, or just anything that they have responsibly or in a way that is you know safe or, or so so to speak but looking at how the church was dealing with how that doesn't seem safe at all to sell your houses sell your land that that's that's appreciating you know value right there they didn't they shouldn't have had to do that that's not a that's not a great way to handle your money but they they didn't care about all that stuff they cared more about meeting immediate needs and trusting in god and that's how a lot of times i think we we don't think about how we should be meeting each other's needs we don't think about um giving what we have right now it may be putting ourselves in a situation where we have to trust in god and and meeting the needs of others putting putting our own security on the line for christ but when you think about it, if you are giving of yourself and putting it at the feet of Christ, really you're becoming more secure because your money is a less secure foundation than, than what Christ would be. So to put your trust in Christ and not your possessions, not whatever you have to make yourself secure is actually far more secure than you were before because God can take what you have just like that. But when you are giving it to Christ, when you are and out of love, again, not out of obligation, when you're doing it out of love with a cheerful heart, it's going to be and it's going to end up being much better for you and uh well that's all i have for that sorry but i'm not going to manage to go the whole time here but um again just just the whole story it's it's a stern warning against against the idea that we try to appear spiritual when we're not don't we all know christians like that that um that like to say that they've given it all to christ but haven't they like to say that like that's their number god is their number one priority that's all they care about in their life but but in reality, they that's, it's it's obvious that that's not the truth. Just maybe some of us are that way. It, this is this is a passage to make you to look within yourself. That's why that's why the um, that's one of the reasons that this even happened. I'm sure is because that fear that was instilled in the church because of that caused a lot of self reflection to see if maybe I'm like that. Maybe I am a hypocrite. Maybe I am here for my own selfish reasons rather than for God. Maybe I'm here because I want to appear more holy. Maybe I maybe I haven't given it all to Christ. Maybe I'm lying to myself by saying that yes, God's number one in my life, but I'm holding back my sin. I'm holding back the things I don't want to give up in my life because I love my sin too much. And essentially we all we all do love our sins that we don't want to be convicted of them. But when Christ does and we give it all to him, that's when we can be blessed. Anyway. Yes, thank you, Joseph. And I'll try not to repeat all that he said there because that's much of my notes. It's like he looked into the passage, right? That, that's excellent. So what we have behind us is just a um, <clears throat> bit of an outline to help divide it up. Uh, and it, it's it, indeed this first story of Ananias and Sapphira, very shocking, right? Very solemn. And there's practical lessons for all of us and we're going just to uh, look at a, a few of those lessons. So we have the deceit and death of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, it's worth noticing at, uh, because, as Joseph has brought to our attention, this was the beginning of the church. Now, think about this. The church is the greatest enterprise on earth. 
The church is the greatest enterprise on earth. We serve the greatest master on earth, the Lord Jesus. And we have the greatest communication on earth, the word of God. So doesn't it, you know, at the beginning of this, God is going to show his power and the seriousness of things. And we see that that's not only so here in the beginning of the church, but it's it's worth noticing at the beginning uh, how the Lord brings and judges sin severely at the beginning of any new period in salvation history. You remember after the law was instituted, this man was out gathering uh, sticks on the Sabbath day and they went in to take counsel at what should be done to this man and they had to stone him to death, right? Because he did not keep the law of the Lord. That was at the beginning of the law, just after the tabernacle was erected. Nadab and Abihu, they went in to, to worship the Lord and they offered strange fire. And what happened? Vroom! Fire came out and they cooked them right there. Aaron's sons were dead immediately on the inception of the uh, tabernacle. You remember Achan in, 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 in uh, Joshua, uh, that, that he was not to take of the, of the devoted thing. And he went into Jericho and he took, and what happened? The Lord judged him. He and his family were stoned. And the Lord uses these cases as examples to us. We're going to find out if we have time that, yes, it's the grace of God. It's the age of grace. But, you know, God expects us to be honest and serious and holy in his presence. So we might ask, as Joseph has brought to our attention, if a clear cut case of God's judgment happened then, which it did, why not now and why not all the time? Well, the answer seems to be that the judgment on them was an exceptional case necessary to establish and vindicate the reality of the arrival and presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Some, you know, we who live so many uh, years later, I don't know that we, we really appreciate the depth of this, but God, the, the third person of the Trinity came down, right, to form the church, the greatest enterprise on earth, which you and I are a part of if we know the Savior. And uh, so God was doing something miraculous here, right? And uh, he showed himself strong in judgment here. Judgment begins at the house of God, Peter will later say in his epistle. Now, later in the history of Israel, many broke the Sabbath and they weren't killed. Many took forbidden things, Babylonian garments and so forth, and they weren't killed. And many today in the church, we've acted out lies, as we heard from Joseph. We haven't died immediately. Well, that can develop an attitude, right? The uh, wise man wrote in Ecclesiastes, because sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of, of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, you've heard people say, well, I'm going to do this. God didn't strike me dead, so I'm just going to keep going. That's an attitude many a person has, right? But we know that God... Uh, will bring judgment. Be sure your sin will find you out. So as we begin, just briefly, again, not trying not to repeat what Joseph said, but we have the generosity of the believers in the end of chapter 4 and the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. The chapter begins with the word but, right? So there's a contrast. You have the generosity and then you have the hypocrisy. But it's a, it's a story of failure and decline. That's where it begins. What happened? He had a piece of property. He looked at everybody else. He sold it. And he brought a part of it. That's the key, right? He brought a part of it. And his wife fully knew about it. So there was deceptive devotedness, right? Deceptive devotedness. Here I am, right? 
I'm going to give all, uh, and I'm going to uh, act as, it, as, as if it's the full payment for the property. No doubt he was relishing the praise, right? If he lived in our day, kudos, kudos to Ananias, right? He'd been out in front of Christianity today, kudos. He'd get the praise of all the Christians, right? Because he did this great act, right? But uh, Peter said, now Peter had discernment, right? Peter had discernment. Wonderful thing. We're going to learn about this as we move along. Why has Satan filled your heart? So Peter, by divine revelation, could, could determine what had really happened here. You know, God desires truth in the inward parts, right? That's important. As we move on here, we'll see the importance of that. Now, notice that he was energized by Satan, right? That is a serious matter. We can tell as we go through the word of God, if, if, if Satan, the arch enemy of the Lord, if he cannot attack from the outside, he will come inside, right? Paul warned about that, Acts chapter 20, right? Evil men, men of, of your own selves shall arise speaking perverse things. They'll, they'll take the truth and they'll twist it. So Satan can get inside the church, right? You have Second uh, Corinthians 12, is it 11, that, that you, you have, we heard of a, of a specific name mentioned this morning. You know, big church, you know, and a big gospel. And he's, what is he? A false teacher. A false teacher. But they have big audiences, right? They transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. But they're really Satan's ministers. We need to beware. Satan will get in. Uh, however, wherever he can. So they were energized by Satan. And uh, we recall that 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 the, the word, you know, you say, well, how, how could he affect a believer? Well, you know, you remember in Ephesians chapter 6, all the warning there for the armor of God is directed toward the child of God because the fiery darts of the wicked, right? Satan is always after taking up his evil purposes in the heart. Now, we have reason to believe that they were believers. The spiritual level of the church at that time was pretty high, and it's hard to imagine they could get in undetected. Uh, and, and the fact that they were able to lie to the Spirit, as Joseph has mentioned, and tempt the Spirit would indicate that they had the Spirit of God living within them. Now, notice it says Satan filled. Satan filled. It's the same word, Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit. Same word. Is that possible to be filled with the spirit, to be filled with Satan? Well, it's, that's what the Bible says. Now, when the Holy Spirit dominates and controls the life of a believer, selfishness and everything incongruous with the Christian life disappear. But when a person is under the control of Satan and dominated by that which is selfish and evil and everything congruous with the Christian life disappear. So, I think, as Joseph has brought out, we need to take warning here that it is possible. Here was this individual Ananias, and Satan looked right at him and said, Why has Satan filled your heart? There's influence. I have a number of verses here in the New Testament that indicate the power and influence that Satan can have on an individual. You know, it's it's kind of sad that, that, that there, the Lord Jesus warned about this, right? That there's coming a day, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, you know, they weren't even belonging to him, right? They've done many wonderful works. They had all the outward trappings, right, of, of, of a believer. But the Lord says, depart. I never 
knew you. So, now did Satan fill his heart with evil without his cooperation? No, he gave in, right? Why? What is, it's Satan, Peter said, Satan, uh, to, to Ananias, why? That question implies that resistance to the temptation had been possible, right? Why it, did, did you do that? Well, we know that, uh, again, there's another a number of things that Satan can do, and I won't take the time to look at all of them, or any of them really for that matter, but we know here that he can inspire wicked thoughts. I remember, <clears throat> you've probably heard this before, but uh, when I was a kid, this dear brother... He, he gave this quote, and he said, You know, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair, right? So there is something that we can do. I live in a world of evil, but I don't let, the have to ha- have that, let that happen to me and affect me, because why? The Spirit of God dwells within me. Does He dwell within you? Or are, are, are we, we're going to learn later if we have time that it's possible to fight against God. You know, what a, what a losing battle that is, right? But we know what Satan is able to do. Solution, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and flee from you. The Lord Jesus resides here, right? So when temptation comes... I can say the Lord Jesus lives here. I remember a song when I was a little boy, right? I met Jesus at the crossroads where the two ways meet. Satan, too, was standing there and he said, come this way. Lots and lots of pleasures I will give to you today. But I said, no, there's Jesus here. See what he offers me down here. My sins forgiven up there, a home in heaven. Praise God, that's the way for me. So do I have, do you have to give in when Satan inspires these, these, these ungodly thoughts? No. The Bible says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Ananias and Sapphira evidently did not learn that there is no such thing as secret sin. No such thing as secret sin. God desires truth in the inward parts. Notice, and as Peter said, while it remained, was it not your own? Peter made it abundantly clear that private property is okay. It's biblical. It's biblical. Now, what Joseph read, we didn't read it. Uh, Joseph referred to it at the end of chapter 4. That was the practice of communism. Not communism. Communism, right? The, the believers were together and they had all things common. They were practicing communism. There was a need. They would help. Not communism, but communism, a society where all property is publicly owned. But Peter uh, makes it abundantly clear that private property is okay. After it was sold, wasn't it at your own disposal? They had, Ananias and Sapphira had the authority, right? They had the authority as stewards or managers of the Lord's money to distribute it as they saw fit. Now, in this connection, it's very important, Joseph referred to it, uh, about the, the, the Lord's demands on us as disciples. What are they, what are the demands and what are they not? Here's what the Lord Jesus said about what we have, right? Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be 
my disciple. I didn't say that. The Lord Jesus said. Let's listen to that. Listen to this. Any of you, Luke 14, 33, who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Now, what's it in, what is included in everything he has or everything you have? On becoming disciples, what do we do? We renounce all that we have in whose favor? The Lord's. We give up all that we have to absolute ownership of the Lord. And guess what? He gives it right back to us to be a manager, a steward of what he has given us. Isn't that remarkable? He gives, uh, we give absolute ownership to the Lord. And now we have the authority, like Ananias, under the guidance of, 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 of the Lord to give what, uh, what, uh, they're his resources, not mine, right? I become a believer and I, I give all that I have to him, but he gives it right back to me to use for his honor and glory. We give it up, but he gives it right back. And it's up to us now to decide how we spend the Lord's resource, resources, right? Whether I spend it on, on, uh, you know, things I would count as the Lord's work, things that I count on personal matters, whatever the case, right? We are, that's the stub- subject of stewardship, managers of the Lord's resource, resources. Actually, you know, this sin here that Joseph brought out about Ananias, it was a form of embezzlement or misappropriation of the Lord's funds, right? The funds that, An- that the Lord gave to Ananias, he was now responsible for. And he came and said, I give it all. But he kept back part. He professed to give all. So he misappropriated, right, the Lord's funds. It was like robbing God as we read in the... Uh, End of the Old Testament. Watch what he says. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Now, Ananias did lie to men. Obviously, he lied to, 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 to Peter, but the sin was so insignificant compared with the sin against God, right? Yeah, that Peter rhetorically just said, calls it no sin. You have sinned against the Holy Spirit. And so what happened? There was death. There was, he expired immediately. Now this is this is shocking. I mean, I I just can't imagine being in 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 the in the society then. And here I'm a part of the church, and I see what I've done. And maybe I've been in that group of generous people in Acts chapter four. And I I'm looking at Ananias, and he goes to do the same thing I did, and he drops dead. Death by the hand of heaven. There was a direct intervention of divine power. The young men rose up. Wound him up, carried him out. Evidently, the practice in that day was burial on the same day of death. Out of the meeting, out of the city to bury him. And as Joseph is brought out, judgment by death is not unknown, even in our day. First Corinthians 11. We need to be aware that, you know, just there's, there's so many things, but, but that, that, that not taking serious what the Lord has brought before us in the, as we come to remember Him in the Lord's Supper, for this cause, many of you die, right? There are many a Christian that are fit for heaven, but for testimony on earth, they are not fit. So the Lord has to take them. 
Now, the wife appears, Sapphira appears, and she's absent, ignorant of her husband's fate. But listen to this. They agreed together. They agreed together. They conspired. They laid a plan. Sapphira was as guilty as Ananias. What was this, a test? You know, they conspired. They, they, they agreed together, right? Were you testing whether your deception would be picked up by us and the Holy Spirit? How sad. What a strange example of marital unity. Right? Husband and wife agreeing together. They were one in their professed faith in Christ. They were one in their hypocrisy. They were one in their terrible death. And they were one in the undying record of their guilt recorded in the word of God, which is read by every nation under heaven. And now we come and we read about Ananias and Sapphira, the strange example of marital unity, you know, coming together. Let's do this. How many times have you heard this statement at work or in the neighborhood? Who's going to know? Let's do this. Who's going to know? Nobody will know. Isn't that strange reasoning? Who's going to know if you take this? Who's going to know if you do this? Well, well, you know, remember... Moses, right? Great man of God. Before he went out to deliver the children of Israel, he, he had enough of this, the, the mistreatment. And he looked this way and he looked that way, right? And then he murdered the man. Ah, you know, we, there's, God desires truth in the inward parts. We cannot escape him. Now notice there's a, uh, the distinction between the private and the public sphere of life is a false Distinction. In other words, in the Christian life, distinction between a private life just for me, <laughs> just for me, and a public life before others does not exist. For the Christian, you know, these hidden fantasies, thoughts, feelings, and emotions and actions are actually a, dis, a, 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 a disservice to the community around me. I can never say, wow, what I think or feel or do is my business and not yours. Uh-uh. You know, we see that nowadays more than I ever remember, right? Anytime you see a report on television, you got 900 people holding up their camera, right? So everybody else can see, and they can go home and see it too. Nothing is private anymore, right? But with God, it's certainly not, right? You remember in the day of Noah, God looked down and he could see the not just the outward evil, but the imagination of their heart was evil Continually, God doesn't need an x-ray machine to see the evil that's, that's, that's lurking in our hearts. So, there's no distinction. We need to beware of our private life and be honest and open in the sight of the Lord. So there we have it. The deceit and death of Ananias and Sapphira. They died by the chastening hand of God at the very outset of the church, <clears throat> sometimes referred to as the age of grace, you know. And it is grace. God, We've heard this morning, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is grace. But Christianity is seen here at the beginning of the church to be a principle of serious holiness. Grace will not tolerate falsehood. And I might add here that, yeah, this was a church activity, Ananias and Sapphira. But, you know, it applies, this principle of honesty in the sight of the Lord applies to all of our dealings, right? Wherever we are and whomever we deal with. 
God sits above the chief financial officer. God sits above the IRS. God sits above all the litigation personnel. I work in a system, you know, that that uh, you can get away with murder, right? All you have to do is claim the right pain and hire the right lawyer and ready to show your instant rich. Everywhere you go, bus, billboard, I see litigation advertisements, right? Hurt, Bert, you know, just act like you're hurt. And all of a sudden you're going to get all kind of money. Yippee. Uh, uh, Perry Mason got me $500,000. Wonderful, isn't it? Right? That's the society that you and I live in. But guess what? God, God is above all that. You know? And sometimes we think, well, who's going to know? Who's going to know? I'm not saying there isn't legit things that happen to us. No, no, no. There are honest things that happen. But if we go about our business like Ananias and Sapphira, just being hypocrites, and, oh, the pain, oh, nobody knows the pain I've seen, you know, and i got to get this money, oh, please, that, that check, it'll help me. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. It'll make him a miserable soul. God sits above all that. And that's good for us to know. God desire, desires truth in the inward part. So that's Ananias and Sapphira. And then there's apostolic testimony. This, this is wonderful. That's a lot of verses. But have you ever, uh, we're, we're, we're taking up now the apostles. If I was to ask you, where does the term apostles appear the most in the New Testament? Probably most of you like me would say in the New Testament or in the, in, in the Gospels. Of course, in the New Testament. In the Gospels. Well, no, it appears most in the Acts of the <laughs> Apostles, right? But here, they're condensed. If you look, look it up, Apostles in the, in the Bible, you'll see that over ten times in these two chapters, Apostles, Apostles, Apostles. That's why we call it the Apostolic Testimony, right? So, uh, here, there, there, there's some amazing things that were happening. People were bringing the sick, hoping that, it, that Peter's shadow, right, might fall on them so that it might be healed. Peter was obviously held in high esteem. Now, whether the shadow healed them or not, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, maybe that was their expectation because they held him in such high esteem. But what we do know, excuse me, later in Acts chapter 19, from Paul's body were brought uh, handkerchiefs or aprons, and when they touched the sick, they were healed. God was doing mighty things in the beginning of the church to establish the fact that the Holy Spirit had came to establish the apostles, that they were his witnesses. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us these things. Now, there's a little parenthesis here that uh, tells about so many people being afraid, verse 12 through 14, to come into the church, and undoubtedly that would have swept a good deal of unreality into the church. And then they appear before the, the high priest, and we can see their absolute hatred for them. They should have been interested in the spiritual well-being of the people, but no, religious hatred is an awful, awful thing, and they, they were made to manifest it, and they had to be imprisoned. But while they were in prison, I want to notice this. While they were imprisoned, there was a divine intervention to bring them out. It doesn't say that in the first imprisonment, right? It just says uh, they were released. But here, they, they, no doubt, they wanted to treat the apostles just like they treated the Lord Jesus and put them to death, right? But they were imprisoned. But watch, here's what I think was very interesting to me. Now watch what the angel says in verse number 20. Go stand and speak. He, he opens the prison doors and he says, go stand and speak to, uh, in the temple to the people. All the words of this life, right? 
Now, this is this is so rich, right? This phrase here. Just think about this for one second, uh, maybe a few seconds. The, you know, he the angel aptly referred to the Christian faith as life. It's not just a creed, a set of creeds or doctrines. You know, oh no, I got to do this again. It's time to go and 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 hear the word of God, and I got to go act like a Christian and that kind of. No, oh, no, life. It's a life. The resurrection life above the Lord Jesus imparted to every one of us that have come to faith in Christ. And it bears out in my, my, my day-to-day activity in the office, in the neighborhood, in the school, wherever it is. Look at this life that is right before me. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Somebody may ne- I've had this and perhaps you have too. Somebody may never say a word to me. After years I heard, I would hear, oh, you know, I noticed this and I noticed that. You never did this. You never did. You didn't blend in with the society around. You didn't laugh at their dirty jokes. You didn't use their dirty language. Whatever. Right? Christianity is a life, the resurrection life. A beautiful expression. Go speak for the for that life that is the risen one that uh, that was the burden of their preaching. The Lord Jesus is called in the previous chapter the prince of life. And notice also it says, go and speak. He's he's bringing them out. They just performed all these miracles. He didn't say to them, go heal. Go heal all these sick people that need it. Go speak, right? Speak the word, right? How shall they hear without a preacher, right? I want to do that. You want to do that. Give the people the message of life. In a chapter that begins with death, give the people a message of life. And that's what we have in the risen Lord. A message of life. He who has the Son of God has life. Think about that. I mean, we could dwell all morning on this, but when you when you go into the office, when you go into the school, where, well, we don't go in the office anymore, right? We're all remote. Right? We don't have to before the office, right? But, you know, the life has entered into this room. Right. There should be a difference because there's a there's a there's a because Jesus lives within. It should be, you know, and even when I walk about in the world, whatever aspect, the beach, the restaurants, the whatever. Right. I'm walking, as it were, amid the dead. Right. I was once there. You were once dead in trespasses and sins. But here's life walking amid the dead. That's what we see in the world. Walking dead. Right. But uh, separated from the life of God. Um, we read in Ephesians, separated from the life of God. And so uh, in um, questioning, verse 28, Peter, uh, the high priest, attested to a truly remarkable fact that the early church had filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Now, that's a wonderful thing. I'd like to do that. Wouldn't you like to fill Pember Pines with the doctrine of the Lord? Right? Fill Jerusalem with your doctrine. That's what you've done, you dis- you apostles, you. And this remains a challenge to all of us and to every church of every age to do likewise. Now, you, you intend to bring your, this man's blood on us now. We know what they said earlier, right? And the apostles had no desire to bring the blood of Christ to the door of these men. Their, their desire was to bring that blood to their hearts that they might be saved from sin. Not charge them with something they already charged their self with, Right? This man's blood be upon us. They just cried that a few weeks earlier, right? When they wanted to put the Lord Jesus to death. And lastly, the advice of the esteemed council member, right? Gamaliel stood up 
They, this, this group, this council, Sanhedrin, they were referred to, was increasingly angered by these ignorant, unlearned and ignorant men. How could it be? You know, if the Lord Jesus was here in their midst, right, which he was, they, they said, how does this man know letters having never learned? He never went to our school. You know, how does he know all this? Well, they, they were they were servants of the living God, being given uh, God's word, and, and they the Sanhedrin, right? They 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 were increasingly angered by this. And Gamaliel, he stands up, right? Now his dev- uh, advice that he gives is doesn't indicate that he was a believer. I don't believe, but but I believe just worldly wisdom. He suggested that this Christian movement would suffer the same. Uh, a fate of these others that we mentioned, Thutis and so forth, if it were of human origin. Um, but of course, God used Gamaliel to uh, fulfill his will. And then the fact that one cannot fight against God, that's brought there. Why are you going to fight against God? What a losing battle that is. And that, that takes up a lot of the acts of the apostles to fight against God. Better it is for you and I had know the Lord Jesus to to judge everything by the word of God. Listen, I, I, you know, I'm affected by the world I live in too, right? All of us are affected by media and social media. But, you know, praise the Lord that I have and you have the plumb line of truth in the word of God. So I don't have to be affected, right? I don't have to move with the flow of the world. I can go against the flow of the world and stand up for the truth, right? Don't fight against God. And then lastly, as we close, they departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The beating inflicted on them, it had two results. It caused them deep joy that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name that they loved, and it sent them forth with a renewed zeal and persistence daily in the temple preaching and teaching. So once again, Satan outwitted himself. Satan tries to step in and do his damage. The Bible says he makes even the wrath of man to praise him. God is able to overcome, right? We have an unseen enemy. And the, uh, the persecution that was, uh, was soon to spread the gospel message and it didn't stem its progress. Here, what do you do with men that, 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 that turn around and take the beating and, and, and say, hip, hip, hooray, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right? They rejoiced, right? There, that the, the, they had been flogged, but they were turning around and say, thank you for the favor that you bestowed upon me. I think <clears throat> this, this should really speak to my heart, should speak to our hearts, to follow uh, such an example in a day and age when we see the, the, the bulk of society going against the Lord and fighting against God, and we have the privilege to give, to render our life to the Lord in whatever measure we, we, we are enabled to, 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 uh, uh, turn it over. If I cope, if I go to, if I want to be a disciple of Christ, I renounce all that I have and let him, and then he gives it back to me and now I use it wisely for him. I, I, I take instruction from him and my lifestyle. I, I go stand and speak the words of this life. What is it that comes out of my mouth? What is it that's in my heart? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is it you find yourself talking about when you're with this person or that person? You know, uh, what that brother once say, you know, that if, if you're feeding on the world, you can smell it on your breath, right? Because that's 
all you have right inside. It's just the worldly wisdom and the worldly actions and all that. And, and, and we fill ourselves with what the world and the social media puts on us, you know, all this stuff instead of feeding on the word of God in this crooked and perverse world in which we live. It's up to us, right, to, to be unlike Ananias and Sapphira and to, to give ourselves wholly to the Lord. Now, I'm going to uh, pray. We're going to sing a song and close and stand up. But I'm going, uh, I didn't confer with Andrew, but it's the same song that we sang at the beginning because it's very appropriate for this lesson today. So let's just ask the Lord's blessing on our gathering and then we'll stand and sing number 548 in our red hymn book. Our Father, we thank you this morning for these valuable lessons. So shocking and so solemn to see a man and his wife drop dead because they're lying of their hypocrisy in your presence. Oh God, we know that you desire truth in the inward parts. We need and should learn from this lesson today to live transparent lives, open, available. Paul said to Timothy, you have fully known my manner of life. And so often we confess, oh God, that so-called Christians go about living hidden, secret lives, carrying on in a fashion that is totally against the word of God. Here, Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, had this strange unity to try and tempt the spirit of the Lord. Conspired a plan. What what a waste of time. What a losing battle. Oh God, we thank you for the valuable lessons here that we can learn and take to our own hearts and put into practice. Your word is like a mirror. And we have seen ourselves here this morning in this, in this passage because we all tend to be hypocrites. Play acting. Oh God, help us. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. 548, let's stand and sing this hymn together. <clears throat> and then if uh, we'll, if you need to leave, we'll leave. Take. Lord, to thee, take my hands and let them move. Oh. Impulse of thy love at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and me sing always only for my king always only for my king take my lips and let them be 
with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold. I withhold not a might would I withhold. Take my love, God, I pour thy feet its treasure store. I will be ever only for Thee. May it be so for His name's sake.